Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Um, I, I'm reminded this morning, right, that the power behind what, is, what takes place this morning as we engage with what God says in his word is not up to me. Um, the word of God says that it is the thing that is living and active, and so when we come and meet together, even over Zoom, even though I'm not in front of you and I can't use all my charisma to try and wow you, uh, I know that as you sit at home, the Word of God is living and active, that the Holy Spirit is in your home with you and He wants to bring the Word of God to bear in your life. And so I'm encouraged that that's going to happen this morning and I, I believe it will. And so I'm trusting him. So let me pray and ask that to happen. Father God, we just thank you that there is this, just this incredible assurance that because we are looking at your living word, that this morning, regardless of whether we're in person or whether we're at home, the word does its work and your Holy Spirit is at work and it takes what, what was written many, many years ago and implants it deep into our souls. And so today we pray that we would have a greater glimpse with meat the risen Jesus and be changed by him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, many years ago, I traveled to Jerusalem, many years ago, like 20 odd years ago. Uh, and when I was there, I went to a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is in the old city. And I don't know if that's how you say the name of the church, but that's my best guess. As you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there is a stone there called the Stone of Anointing. Now, that is the place people believe that the dead body of Jesus was taken down off the cross and was placed while they wrapped him in linen garments. Okay, so it's this special stone in the church. And I remembered vividly as I walked into the church, I was just standing there, a, a, a line of people were lined up in front of this stone and anointing and a woman up the front was lying prostrate on her face with her hands on the stone and she was just weeping, weeping really loud, loud crying out. And I had no, she, she was speaking in a different language, so I didn't know what she was saying. But as I looked at her and I looked at the line of people following her to do the same thing, it seemed to me they had come to worship a dead Jesus. Now, I don't know their hearts. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. But it seemed to me they had come to this place where this dead Jesus had been to worship the dead Jesus. Now, my question to you this morning is, are you following a dead Jesus or a living Jesus? A dead Jesus or a living Jesus? Uh, the last nine weeks we've been looking at Mark's account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark, we find, found out, is the scribe of Peter who was an eyewitness of everything happened right from the beginning. And so Mark does a really brief account. He's got a real pace to the way he writes his, his gospel. A real brief account of the highs and lows of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the highs where great crowds following him in the, in the north of Israel and he's running around healing people and he's, and he's preaching um, and he's calling people to what he calls the kingdom of God. He says, come follow me, the kingdom has come. Uh, now, the, the idea of the kingdom is he's calling people to be a, his new people in right relationship with God as their king. But as his teaching continued through the gospel accounts, you see that the kingdom of God focuses, he says, it's going to come through his death on the cross. He says that his death in Mark 10, his death would be a ransom or a payment for the sins of humanity to enable people to enter into the kingdom. And so last week we had Paul with us and he explained how that took place. We, talked, we saw three big things. We saw that as Jesus was crucified on the cross, 
between midday and 3 p.m., so it's the middle of the day, the sky went black. There was darkness. Now, if you go back in the story of the Bible, you find out that that darkness is a symbol of God's judgment coming down. And so the question is, as Jesus hangs on the cross in the darkness, who is the judgment coming down on? And then you keep reading and you see that as Jesus hangs there on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a massive clue to tell you that the person being judged in that moment, the judgment that's coming down, symbolised in the darkness, is coming on Jesus. Jesus in that moment is not experiencing his Father's blessed face, but his God's God the Father's anger. And so the next question is, but why? Why Jesus, who lived a great life, is he experiencing God's judgment like that on the cross? And then the next thing is you have the curtain. And so in Jerusalem, you had a place called the temple. And inside the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which is a symbolic place where God's presence dwelled. And outside that place was a tent, so it was a curtain. And as Jesus cries out on the cross, as he dies on the cross, that curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. It reveals that Jesus has made a way for us to enter into God's presence. So there's three big things that happen at Jesus' death. You had the darkness, you had the cry, you had the torn curtain, and it revealed that Jesus had died for our sin to enable us to live in God's presence. Now, that was the end of the story. You got to the end of Mark 15 there where Jesus died on the cross. Then if that was the end of the story, he's dead then it would make sense for us to go back to that place, like the stone of anointing or, or maybe to the place where he, he, he died and, and, and worship him as our dead leader, to, to almost go back and commemorate him and have almost like a funeral to remember our dead leader. But the story doesn't end there. And so today we're going to pick up the story after Jesus' crucifixion. And the first thing we're going to see, as we read before, is that Jesus is really dead. The text is going to tell us he's really dead. So pick it up with me, verse 42 of chapter 15 there. It's going to be on the screen. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, although... uh, all the Jewish leaders were the ones who, in a sense, were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. It was at their hands that they forced Pilate's hand. One of them, it seems, named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, he believes in Jesus. Now, we don't know when he became a believer in Jesus. We don't know whether it was the trial and he saw this innocent man unjustly uh, sent to death. We don't know if it was the cross and he saw the way he died and thought, oh man, that guy was the son of God. Whatever it was, here he is courageous enough to forego the respect he would have had as a Jewish leader to associate himself with this man killed for blasphemy. And so right throughout Mark's Gospel, you have all these accounts of people, whether they're going to follow Jesus or not, like the rich young ruler. And this man is willing to carry his cross to follow after Jesus. He trusts in Jesus because he wants, he's willing to forgo all of it to pursue Jesus. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now, crucifixions, the things to know about crucifixion is sometimes they would last for days. 
Yeah, you think you think I mean if you got if I had nails through my arms and legs, I'd die quickly. No. The idea of the executioner when they were crucifying you was to keep you there as long as possible to torture you. As a sign to anyone who's watching the fact that you were crucified, you don't want to end up here. It was it was like a threat to anyone who went walked by, don't commit a crime, because this could be you. And so Pilate hears that he's died, uh, he's been put on the cross during the morning, he's dead by the afternoon. He says, man, how's he died so quickly? So he calls for the centurion. Now, that's not just asking anyone to give their opinion on whether he's dead. Centurions were experts in execution. If anyone was to know whether someone was dead, it was a centurion because that was their job to have people killed. And so the centurion says, nah, he's dead. He's dead. He's really dead. And so Joseph goes and is given the body of Jesus, verse 46. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Okay, now Jewish people back then, they didn't do coffins. They didn't do cremation. uh, They instead dug big caves where bodies were placed in and they were wrapped in linen cloth. Now, what they did there is they left, they closed the tomb, they waited for quite a while until the body decomposed, until you just had bones, and then they'd take the bones, grind them down, and put them into what's called an oshery, all right, like a container. And so Mark says, as per normal for Jewish customers, Jesus' dead body is placed in a tomb and wrapped in linen cloths. Then a massive stone is placed in front of the tomb over the entrance to prevent looters come in. And the women who we, we didn't read before, we actually read before, but I didn't go through before. The women who were mentioned earlier, has, having seen the dead body of Jesus, saw the place where they, followed, where they placed his body. They saw him placed in the tomb. And so what Mark's doing here is he's going to great lengths to show you Jesus is really dead. He's really dead. So you have Joseph, you have the centurion, you have the women. They all vouch for us. Jesus was really dead. Now, if that was the end of Mark's gospel, all right, we have a really dead Jesus. Then I would want to suggest to you that that would be the end of the Jesus movement. You know, all the people who follow Jesus. Because sure, Jesus had great moral teaching. Uh, He did incredible miracles. His death was, like we said before, accompanied by extraordinary signs. But at this point in the story, the guys he had trained for three years are nowhere to be seen because they're scared to be even associated with him. The people responsible for carrying on the message are completely gone. They're in hiding. The death of Jesus would have been the death of the Jesus movement. And so what took place to turn it all around? Well, the second part of the section we looked at this morning is that Jesus is not just really dead, but now he's become really alive. Jesus is really alive. So verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Siloam bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? All right, so he's died on the Saturday. He's put into the tomb, sorry, on the Friday. He's put into the tomb Friday night, okay, because Saturday was the Sabbath when you're not supposed to do work. They rushed it, okay? So Jesus is in the tomb all of Saturday. Um, In fact, from the other Gospels, we find out that 
because there was concern his body might be stolen, a, a, a guard, a Roman guard, was placed out the front of the tomb to prevent people coming to get him. Now it's Sunday morning and the sun has come up, it says. All right, so you can see it's not just, you can hardly see anything because it's dusk. The sun has come up and the guard has gone and you have these three women going out to the tomb. Why are they going? They're doing, going to continue the burial rituals. Because his body was placed so quickly into the tomb on Friday night and just wrapped in a linen shroud, they didn't get a chance to put the, the spices and the rubbing oils on his body to prevent the body smelling too bad. And so they come on the Sunday morning to continue the burial ritual they should have done on the Friday night, but because of Sabbath, they couldn't. And on the way, they're wondering, how are we going to open this tomb? The stone's so big, how are we going to get in? They're hoping something will happen. Now, side point, the mention of the women at this point. It's what, what, what's often called the embarrassing truth of the gospel accounts, the, the mention of women. See, it seems completely backwards and wrong to us here in modern-day civilization. But back then, no one would trust a woman. You could not, well, people said you couldn't trust the word of a woman. And so if you went to court, if your only witness was a woman, you, you had no chance. You had no shot because no one trusted women. And so if Mark here is trying to make up a story about Jesus coming back from the dead, don't mention the women. Don't mention the women. So it's the embarrassing truth of the gospel accounts. It's that, it's that thing that says, well, if he was really trying to make up a story, he wouldn't say this. So maybe it's, maybe it's true. And so the women come to the tomb, verse 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Okay, so the women, they step inside the cave. They see a young man dressed in a white robe. And so we presume an angel. We don't know what they presume. I guess they presumed an angel as well. And they are scared. And they're thinking, what has happened to Jesus' body? Verse 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See, like that lady I saw weeping at the stone of anointing all those years ago, 20 years ago in Jerusalem. These women had likewise come to honour a dead saviour. They, they came that morning with the, with the oils and, the, and, and the, the, the things to embalm the body because they wanted to honour their dead leader, honour their dead saviour. But they arrive there and it's not what they find. It's not what they find. They're told that Jesus, who was really dead, is now really alive. See, Christian faith is not the worship of a dead leader, a dead guru, or a dead teacher, or even a dead saviour. In fact, this is what makes Christian faith different to every other religion in the world, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Islam, whether it's Hinduism. Every other religion is about following the teachings or following the, the, the philosophies of dead teachers, gurus, leaders. Christian faith is different. It is about the worship of Jesus, the living King. The worship of Jesus, the living King, whom God raised from the dead to show us that what he did on the Friday at his death actually worked. See, if you ever wondered that, if, Jesus, if we just ended after Jesus' crucifixion, we had all these different signs that something was going on on the cross, but how would we know any of it worked? 
How will we know that Jesus took our sin on the cross, that he died for sin so that we could be forgiven and right with God? How could we know? How do we know it was effective? Well, he came back to life again. And so as, he, as God raised him from the dead, as he came victorious over death, he was showing he was victorious also over sin. He appeared multiple times to multiple people over a period of 40 days after this resurrection appearance. He appeared, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, to up to 500 people at once. He ate meals with people. He taught people. He was not cast with a friendly ghost. He wasn't just drifting around as this, as this spirit. He was a real living person coming back from the dead. And after 40 days, it says, he was taken up into heaven to be with his father, to take his place now as the living king of existence over all reality. So the Jesus who was really dead was really alive, an event that changes the way you worship him. So verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. All right, so the angel says to the women, tell his disciples to go back to Galilee. Go back to the place where you first follow him, where you first were discipled with him, the place where you were trained by him. Because he, because the angel says he's going before you and when you go there, he's going to meet you there. You see, there was another place that I visited in Jerusalem 20 years ago, and it was a place called the Garden Tomb. Uh, it's just outside the old city, uh, and it was quite nice in that you go into this kind of enclosed space, and it's like a garden area. Inside this garden area, they have a first century tomb, which they're pretty good about. They don't, they don't conclusively say this is the, the, the burial place of Christ, but they say even if it's got a whole bunch of reasons why they think it is, but even if it isn't, it's still a picture of what a first century tomb was like. But the most helpful part of going to this place, the garden tomb, and seeing the tomb was the sign they placed over the door. And so it's going to come up on your screen now. It was this. He is not here, for he is risen. He is not here, for he is risen. See, when you follow a dead saviour, it makes sense to go back to places where that dead saviour went and, and mourn him and worship him and worship the place where he went. It makes sense that your religious gatherings are more like funeral services where you remember a dead leader. But when you have a living saviour, then all of your life becomes about living with him. It's not just about spending time once a week to remember him, remember his death. Every moment of every day is lived in relationship with the living Jesus. And so that's what the angel is saying to these women. He, she's saying to the, sorry, the angel is saying to this woman, he's, he's saying to them, tell the disciples your training is not over. It's not over. The call to follow him is still there. You are still going to live as his disciples because he is your living Lord, your living master, and he is alive. Discipleship does not end when you have a living saviour. Verse 8, and, when, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Full stop. Now, this is a little bit unusual, isn't it? You're expecting the women to leave, tell the disciples, be really excited with joy, 
But right here, what happens? They're freaked out and so they say nothing to anyone. And that ends the gospel. Okay? And you're thinking, what was that? Uh, it's not that. We know Mark wasn't writing as the things happened and then it got to that point. So he put full stop and he said, all right, that's it. Let's go to print. It's, it wasn't that. Um, we know it, Mark was written, written well after Jesus' resurrection. And so there were plenty of things he could have written. He could have written more. And so that kind of explains why you have that extra bit here from 9 to 20. You see that bit that says it's not in the earliest manuscripts. All right, You probably have that in your Bible in verses 9 to 20 of Mark chapter 16. That section is not included in the earliest manuscripts of Mark's gospel, uh, but is a later edition. And so most likely, like the same way we feel, some, a, a scribe has read up to verse 8 and said, well, that can't be the end. Uh, there's so much more he could have said. Mark, I'll just, I'll just add an extra bit here. And so he, he's done that. He's add, added the extra bit to fill it out. But, but this Mark's gospel ends at verse 8. And so the question you want to ask is not... Well, the question you want to ask is the question we ask is, why? Why does he stop there? Why does he stop with these women going out being so scared that they don't tell anyone? Well, I think the reason is that Mark wants you to see at this point that there is nothing in Jesus' followers that would enable this movement to continue. Okay, Even after he rose, that the Jesus movement should have died at that point. His his. What's, what's happened? His followers have deserted him. We know that. The people he trained had completely deserted him. They don't want to be associated with him. And even the women who, you know, right through are the people who are caring for his dead body, who are being associated with him. At this point, they're not willing to speak as well because they're so scared. See, nothing, humanly speaking, could keep this Jesus movement continuing on. No, the only thing that enabled the Jesus movement to continue was that Jesus was really alive. Was that Jesus was really alive. And so my question to you this morning is this. Are you following a dead or living Jesus? Are you following a dead or living Jesus? See, we make the mistake, and I think I do it all the time, because we can't see Jesus, because he's not at some match this morning, he's not sitting down watching the online church with you this morning, because we can't see Jesus, we think he's not alive. We kind of think, oh, yeah, he's dead. He's from the past. But the Bible tells us that the Jesus who was alive back then is the same Jesus who is truly alive now in heaven, even though we can't see him, and rules over this universe this very moment. He is truly alive and he rules over this universe this very moment. The Jesus who was alive back then who came back to life then, is the same Jesus who is present now with us through the word about him and the Holy Spirit that takes his word and drives it into our hearts. That's why it's called the living word of God, because the risen Jesus speaks through his living word to us right now in this moment, you in your house and me in this church. The Jesus who came back to life back then is the same Jesus who calls every one of us today to come follow him, to be his disciple, to come with him to Galilee, to leave the empty tomb and recognise he is risen, to turn from life without him, to accept his death for our sin and to live in relationship moment by moment, day by day, as our Saviour and Lord. 
And so this morning, I want to talk to those of you who are at this point have not put your trust in Jesus. You have not chosen to follow the living Jesus. The thing I want to say to you is this, particularly if you're online today, I want to say to you this. I'm sorry for giving you the impression that Jesus was dead. I'm sorry I've given you the impression. I'm sorry for every Christian who has given you the impression that Jesus is dead. That what we do when we come to church is we just get together and we remember the, the, the teachings or the actions of a dead saviour. I'm sorry for making you think uh, what we do is about commemorating ancient rituals and, and trying to draw his ancient teachings into the past, into the future. Because nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is alive. He's alive this morning. And he is speaking to you, wherever you are watching from today, he is speaking to you through the word about him. He is speaking by his Holy Spirit to you and he is saying, come follow me. Come follow me. So if this morning you are not a disciple of the Lord Jesus. He's speaking to you and he's saying, come follow me. If you can hear his voice this morning in your, in, your, in, your, in your heart, in your soul, then please let me know. Because I want to teach you, I want to show you what his word teaches you about how you can continue to live with Jesus as your master and Lord. But if you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, if you said, I've turned to follow Jesus the Saviour, then I want to challenge you as well. Are you following a dead or living Jesus, would people look at your life and think that Jesus you follow is living? He's alive because I can see it in the way you live your life. So I'll give you a whole bunch of ways you might be able to tell. Do you come to church or do you come on to Zoom church expecting to hear a word from the living Jesus? Do you expect he's alive and he's going to speak into your life today? Or do you come to church or do Zoom church in a sense, to dutifully respect the dead Jesus. You come to, you know, you go to the funeral to pay respects to the person of the past. Do you speak to him when you leave church? If he is the living Lord, if he's the living Jesus who is discipling you actively now, do you speak to him? Do you pray to him? Or do you leave church or Bible study or whatever and function effectively in your life, whether it's in your job or your education or your family, like he's not even there? Like he's not even there? Do you expect him to do things in your life? Do you expect him to answer your prayers? Do, do, you, do you expect he will use you in your workplace in the way you work, in what you say, in the way you respond to bless the people in your life? Do you expect him to use you in your family, to bless your family? When you meet someone who, who says to you they are sick, do you pray for them to be healed? Do you expect that the living Jesus would use you to bring healing in their life? Not knowing that they're going to be healed, not promising they're going to be healed, that's, that's a false gospel, but saying... Can I tell you about Jesus? He has done something significant in saving your sin-sick soul, but at the same time, he calls me to pray for you when you're sick. Do you, self, do you introduce yourself... Sorry, do you take the time when you meet people to think to yourself, I'm going to introduce you to the living Jesus? 
not just to the teachings of an ancient one, not just to the gospel that was written long ago, but do you think, I want to introduce you to the living Jesus who can change your life? See, I often think that. I often think I meet people who are really struggling with significant issues in their life and my overwhelming desire is for them to meet Jesus, but they don't say anything. I don't speak of him. Friends, if he's living, if he's alive, if he wants to be in their lives, if their lives can be changed by knowing him, what, why would I not introduce them to him? Do you have hope even in the midst of suffering and pain? Do you know he is with you? He has not forsaken you and that he is good and all-powerful and that he can hold you up? Do you feel accountable to him in every part of your life? Not, not just the religious part of your life where you think, oh yeah, he, he kind of has a say over those sorts of things, but every aspect of your life. Do you feel accountable to the living Jesus? Do you know that there is nothing you do that he does not see? You know those parts of our lives that we kind of, uh, we have these secret sins in our lives that no one really knows about, our thoughts in our heart. He sees it all. Do you, do you live like that's true? Are you following a dead or living Jesus? Because, friends, he's really alive. He's really alive. Although we can't see him, he's really alive. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to pray and I'm going to, I'm going to beg Jesus to help us see that, know that. Know that he is really alive and that, that that reality, that true reality, might be demonstrated in our lives. So let me pray. Father, we, it's so easy for us to get into this zone of just living and following a dead Jesus, of just treating you, Jesus, like you're not alive, like you're not living, like you're not active. It's really easy of us to start living like we're isolated from you, that you're not present with us. But Jesus, you are really alive. And so we ask you, we're, we're desperate, that you would give us eyes that can see that reality, that it would transform the way we live for you, that people would look at us and think, man, that guy has a, a relationship with a living Lord. He's not just a follower of the ancient Jesus, dead Jesus. He has a relationship with the living Lord. Father, let that be seen. And Father, for the people here this morning who are watching online who have not chosen to follow Jesus, I pray now in this moment they would hear his voice. The clear voice of Jesus from his word that says, come follow me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.